A couple things I want to say is I, was, I just feel like we're kind of at the halfway point and want to just reflect on this. And a couple of my big takeaways for us, um, some pastoral takeaways. One is um, a conversation I had this week with a friend who was like, you know, this whole like Psalms because of the fact that it's poetry and revelation because it's these crazy visions. Like I find myself like moving away from those places in scripture and I think that person hit on something that is actually common to, I think, most of us, which is we can get in a place with Scripture that is just consuming information. And it feels very satisfying for me to go to a place where I know how to access it, I get a little takeaway, put it in my back pocket, and then I just move on. And I believe that part of what's happening here is God is stopping us from doing that. He's like, oh, is this what we're going to do? Okay, well, good luck with this, because this is the weirdest, most confusing, most freaky, terrifying thing that you will ever encounter. So good luck just coming very casually and finding a nugget for your week and putting it in your back pocket, because that's not what we're doing here. And so just for something for me, a takeaway, just broad brush has been, we need to be disrupted like this. We need to be brought to a place where we do not understand what is happening, it is not immediately familiar, and we are coming to God saying, will you please help me understand this? And we are sitting there, and we are re remembering that I'm not God. <laughs> I'm not sitting on my throne demanding that God come to my feet and make me understand this without any work on my part uh, because I have better things to do, but that he's the one that's on the throne and that I come to his feet and I say, Lord, I don't understand this, but you've given this to us to understand and to strengthen and to encourage and to convict and to all the things that you want to do in my life. Will you please help me? And I'm going to keep doing what Jesus says in Luke 11, be the persistent widow that just keeps knocking of like, I, you've given us this word to understand and to be encouraged. And so I'm not going to leave until you help me until you help me see this. And then what's happening in that is it is bonding us with him. It is deepening our intimate relationship with him and is making it even more intimate because we are too easily satisfied with other things. So I believe that that is part of what's happening with Revelation and why it is such a blessing. Um, and also, and forgive me, Lord, and, and you guys, if I'm doing this, I'm trying not to, but part of what's happening too is um, we don't, we shouldn't be explaining. I shouldn't be up here trying to explain away the visions because they, he gave them to us as visions for a reason. Because as Eugene Peterson has made note, um, nothing in Revelation is new. It's all just repackaged in very visual, visceral ways. But everything you find in Revelation is pulled from the Old Testament, from the Gospels, from Paul's letters. It, like all of Scripture is here in this very powerful, amazing, majestic, mysterious place where it is not uh, content to be downloaded. It's not information download. It is, it is maybe in a different way, but it is visions to be taken in and our hearts to be moved. And for us to feel this in a very visceral, very different way. And in that way, it makes these things that have always been true more real to us. So, um, so that is where we are. Um, Margaret said scary. And today this passage is scary. And it made me think about um, the fact that 
there are really like horror elements to the book of Revelation. There are horrific images, and, and today we have some of those elements in this passage. So Revelation has very dark, unsavory elements and images, and there are dark and unsavory images and moments in our world and in our own lives, right? So that is also encouraging that this is not this pie in the sky divorced from real life situations. This is God speaking to us in the dirt, in the mud, in the darkness and saying, hey, I'm not unfamiliar with this. I'm deeply, deeply acquainted with darkness. And there's a, uh, an outspoken Christian horror film director named Scott Derrickson, and he is the director of such movies as uh, Doctor Strange, even though it's not a horror movie, um, The Black Phone, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So if you want to join us on Halloween, we'll be watching with the kids The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, and and I, I, I was like so curious as I was thinking about this week and wanted to pull up some of his thoughts and so found a, an interview that he did a few years ago. And listen to what he says, and I think this, is, um, help, this will help us today and for some of the rest of these places in the book of Revelation. He says, for me, horror is the perfect genre for a person of faith to work in. You can think about good and evil pretty openly. I always talk about it being the genre of non-denial. I like the fact that it's a genre about confronting evil, confronting what's frightening in the world. I like the mystery of the genre. It's a genre that takes the mystery in the world very seriously. There are a lot of voices that are broadcasting that the world is explainable. Corporate America limits the world to consumerism. Science can limit it to the material world. Even religion limits it to a lot of theories that can explain everything. I think we need cinema to break that apart and remind us that we are not in control. And we don't understand as much as we think we do. Horror as a genre can certainly be misused and unhealthy. For me, at least, though, it invites depth, moral passion, and ideas that are to be taken seriously. And listen to this last sentence. It's not about putting something evil into the world. It's about reckoning with evil. We don't need any more evil in the world. We need a lot more reckoning with it. And so um, what we're going to do today, we're going to do this a little differently, but um, Brooke, if you'll come up, Brooke is going to come and read our passage, which is Revelation 12. Um, I want to throw this image up on the screen, and we're just going to have this up here. This is um, a painting uh, by a man named William Blake, who is a poet and didn't know that he was also a painter until this week, but um, he painted a series of paintings from Revelation 12, and... I just want to have this up here because it just is reminding us of what we're talking about. It's too easy to sanitize and explain away uh, what the Lord is telling us in these passages, but there are some really dark, horrific images uh, in this passage and things happening in the world. Um, and it's also a very powerful story, the way that this vision unfolds. And so we're going to have some, uh, we're going to kind of invoke that a little bit with some uh, some, some background music as Brooke is reading this passage. Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. 
She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who kept, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you help us today? Would you help us? And we actually need this help every day, every time we come to your word, but we we are more aware of it today. We are more aware of it as we are walking through Revelation and we are walking through these passages that are mysterious and confusing. And Lord, would you silence the enemy? Would you silence the dragon? And would you uh, cause us to have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to desire you and to understand so that we can obey and that we can know and love you and love our neighbor more? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
All right, uh, today the stuff we're talking about is, is too awesome to be quiet. So um, if you've been with us, you know we do this from time to time. We're trying to stretch our comfort level. Um, you do not have to say amen or raise your hands in worship for you to be worshiping God. Um, and it's also a good discipline to just expand your experience of worship because we are not just brains on a stick. We are embodied souls. And so uh, what I want everybody to do is just to say yes. Okay, say it with a little conviction. Yes. Okay, say amen. amen. Say, tell me about it. <laughs> All right, now say anything you want that means that. All right, there we go. Okay, so I want to hear some of that today because we are talking about just the most, I mean, this is the story of everything. This, these visions are the story of human history. They're the story of cosmic history. They're the story of, of everything that is, is going on in the world. And remember, Revelation is God is pulling back the curtain. Jesus is pulling back the curtain to reveal himself and his work in the world. And so uh, I am going to do my very best with the Lord's help to give us enough explanation to where we understand what is being said, but not so much as to take away from the power of the vision. So here we go. Um, get those yeses. Yeah, come on. I'm going to tell you about it. Okay, so we start with the, the first couple of verses, just the first sign. Okay, the first sign is just, it, it stops us in our tracks because of this majestic and awesome and beautiful woman. She is literally otherworldly because she is clothed with the sun and her feet are on the moon and she has a crown um, on her head. She is royal. She is beautiful. She is majestic. Um, she is the people of God. Uh, there, there are many places in Scripture that these references make sense, and you know what's, what's being talked about here. But uh, this, if you were with us when we went through the Song of Solomon, this from uh, the beloved is saying this to his beloved in Song of Solomon 6.10. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. This is the people of God. And this woman is deeply loved and chosen. How do I know that? Because she is pregnant. Because a man has come and made her his. He has chosen her, and now she is pregnant. That is the fruit of love. And so we have this beautiful picture, this, and I'm just imagining what John is experiencing as he's seeing this. And he sees her also at the point of this new life being born. She is in the throes, the agony of the pains of childbirth. And so he's watching and it's, it's just visceral. You can't watch something like that and not be drawn in and pulled in. And he's watching this and there is pain, but there's also this joy, this beauty of new life is being born into the world. And so we're with John as he's in this place and he's digesting this and taking this in. And then all of a sudden this, this second sign, I see a second sign in heaven and behold, that word behold is always there to just stop us in our tracks. This froze me. What, what was it that froze him in this second sign? A great red dragon with seven heads and ten hordes, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. This dragon 
Remember in Revelation, in these visions, numbers have meaning. Seven is this number of completeness. Ten is a number of completeness. This dragon uh, in, in red is, is murderous. And we learn from Jesus, and we learn later who this dragon is. It is Satan, and Jesus tells us in the Gospels that he is a murderer from the beginning. And you have this horrific, murderous thing out of a horror movie that is here, and he's, but he's also so powerful he has seven heads and he has 10 horns. Horns are a sign of power. And he has these crowns. It's, it's as if no one can stand against him. This dragon is too awesome. He is terrifying. His power is multifaceted. You cannot escape him or his evil designs, or so it seems. With one swipe of his tail, he clears out a third of the cosmos. That's how powerful this dragon is. And a few verses later, we're told who he is. He's the ancient serpent, the ancient serpent from Genesis 3, from the Garden of Eden, from the very beginning of human history. He's bent on destruction and death. He's the devil, which means slanderer. He's Satan, which means adversary. He's the deceiver of the whole world, or as Jesus says in the Gospels, he's the father of lies. And he is standing, waiting before this beautiful, majestic vulnerable, defenseless, would-be mother ready to destroy her newborn baby, to devour it. This is the stuff of horror films and darkest nightmares. Imagine John as he is in the cinema of this vision, seeing what's about to happen. There's no way that he is unaffected by this. There's no way that he's first unaffected by this beautiful, glorious woman and the beauty of her being in childbirth. And then there is certainly no way that he's unaffected with the, the, the splendor and the glory and the goodness and the beauty that is about to be just wrenched apart and, and subject to the vilest, darkest, sickest thing that you can imagine. And then you have the action of the gospel. In verse 5, as the, as the vision unfolds, the woman does in fact give birth to a male child, and we're told he is one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This would have stopped John in his tracks to give him hope, because this is not a throwaway phrase, because you have to know that as John is watching this unfold, he is thinking, who can save this child? Who can save this mother? There is no one that can stand before this great dragon that I'm seeing. And then he, he hears or sees, somehow knows, that is one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Don't worry, there is hope. That's, this comes from Psalm 2. And if you think, I can't understand Revelation, just instead of saying that, say, I haven't read the Old Testament enough. Because it's all in there. All seven heads of this dragon are plotting of how to overthrow God. He who sits in the heavens, Psalm 2 tells us, laughs at this dragon. Yeah. He ridicules with hatred this dragon. And he says this to all those who would stand in the way of, of the will of God in this world. The one who sits on the throne, the true king says this, my son, all of the earth will be his possession. And even these most powerful enemies, he will smash them like pottery with a rod of iron. 
all who do not repent and turn and worship the God who is on the throne and his son, his Christ, will be smashed, including this dragon. So as John is watching this, it is like this hope is rising up in him. But he's thinking, okay, but now (laughs) he's just a newborn baby, right? He was caught up to God and his throne in heaven, and he was not devoured. Why? Because God was with him always. Even in his death, because we know what happened to this baby. This baby grew into a man. This man lived a perfect life, and then this man was slandered. This man was shamed. This man was intimidated. This man was beaten. This man was crucified on a cross and bled out to death. And we also know, because we know what's, what's going on and things that we can't see with our eyes, that he was also has taken the sin of the world into himself as he was hanging on that cross. But this is amazing because this tells us that he was not devoured. It sounds like that he was devoured, but he wasn't. And so this is very instructive for all of us. To be devoured then does not mean to physically suffer or die. To be devoured is to be enslaved to the enemy. To be devoured is to be enslaved to Satan, to have your eyes closed to what is true about God, to be rebelling against God until you're finally destroyed with the second death. To follow the ways of the world, opposing the ways of God, seeking to throw off God's claim on your life as all of those rulers from Psalm 2, as opposed to walking with him in loving obedience. And so God is telling us in this passage with the life of Jesus and in our own lives, um, this is not what's to be most feared. Hanging on a cross and dying is actually not what's to be most feared. What's to be most feared is to be devoured by this dragon. So the, this male child, this baby, you know, we kind of zoom forward to the uh, cross and uh, death and resurrection, and he is caught up in this vision to heaven. And then we see that the woman flees into the wilderness to a place prepared by God where she is nourished for 1,260 days or three and a half years. And, and this number is actually very important. If you haven't If it hasn't hit you yet, then you have not been here much because um, all of these different ways of saying this amount of time keep coming up in the book of Revelation. It's 1,260 days. It's three and a half years. It's it's, uh, 42 months. It's what's called a time, times, and half a time. All of this is referring to the same amount of time. And this is so cool. Um, 42 months is... There were 42 wilderness events in God leading his people out of Egypt into the promised land. So that 42 months is referencing those 42 events. It's referencing symbolically the journey from Egypt, from slavery to sin, to the promised land, to life with God. It's this journey, this wilderness in between. Three and a half is half of seven. Seven is complete. So this is like saying, hey, we are on the way. It's moving toward completion, but it's not here yet. And I also believe that the reason we have these numbers, but we also have this just time, times, and half a time is like to say, hey, this is symbolic. And it's going to feel just like all of these visions are like rising and falling and coming and going and and being uh, sort of the ripple effects going out and the echoes. It's like, 
we're not going to necessarily know exactly where we are in this time. We're just saying you're in this time and this is to help you orient yourself. You are in this wilderness time where things are not complete, but there is a day of completion. There is a day when Jesus returns and we are home. And so um, God has prepared. He's not left his people in the wilderness without his care. He has prepared a place for us to nourish us for all the time that we are in this wilderness place that is not our home. And, and it is not just we'll see what happens, but it is for a specific amount of time because he has a plan. He is working all things according to his plan. And that plan is moving to the end of human history when Jesus will return and make all things new. And so you're thinking at first, okay, there's this pregnant woman and this dragon is about to devour her. Where is her husband? God is not an absentee husband who is not in the delivery room. He was coming to join us in our suffering in the jungle of darkness under the power of this disgusting and terrifying dragon, coming to be born to descend into darkest hell to keep his beloved bride from having to fear death or face God's wrath for our sins. That's where he was. He's not absent. He's very present. He's being born into this mess to take away our sin and to, to fight the deepest darkness so that we will never have to see the depths of, of how black this gets. And we see as this, this vision moves on, we start to hear about um, what's happening uh, in verse seven, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and his angels. And, and, and what I want us to see here is that um, what has happened on earth, Jesus being born, uh, which by the way, the dragon has all these, you know, we're, we're talking about the people of God. We're also talking about the actual person of Mary who is giving birth to Jesus. And we're talking about the dragon. We're also talking about to all those who the dragon animates with his power, including Herod, who is trying to literally destroy baby Jesus. And so it's just this repetition, these cycles of this is what is happening in the world with the people of God in this world that is not our home, that is under the power of the dragon until the kingdom of God comes and smashes into the kingdom of this world. And they both and it all becomes the kingdom of God. And so we see this vision, and, and what we're seeing here is um, what is happening on earth and what is happening in this other heavenly dimension is intimately connected, and they affect one another. So as this is playing out on earth, we're seeing this like heavenly counterpart uh, as they're intimately intertwined. Jesus was born, lived, died, was resurrected here in our world in a real way, in a way that we can see and understand and touch. And this is impacting events in another dimension. Michael, the archangel, and his angels under him fighting against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon is defeated. And then we hear this powerful voice in heaven. It's like God's hype man gets on the mic and he's like, yo, check this out. Check this out that this dragon who everybody is afraid of, God didn't even show up for the fight. He didn't want to grace, you know, impress people with his presence. So he sent his servant. He sent his servant, Michael, who is so awesome that it would cause all of us to fear and die if it were not for God's grace to stop that from happening if we ever saw Michael in all of his glory right now. 
But this is not about Michael because it's about the God who is way more powerful than Michael, who is infinitely powerful, who it's, it's not even a fight. So he sends his servant Michael to fight against this great dragon and his servant defeats him. That's how awesome this God is. And that, this is just like no question, no hope that this dragon ever had a chance of defeating God or interfering with his plans for all of his creation. And we hear what this hype man says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ are here. The salvation of our God is here. We see his plan has unfolded in a way that no one could ever have imagined. A baby boy defeats this dragon by being obedient to the point of death. Like who could have written that? The power of God is here. Who can stand? Do you see how awesome and powerful he is that he sends his servant to fight this dragon? The kingdom of God is here. There's a new superpower on the world stage. Like King Richard returning to kick Prince John off the throne and make all things right. There is a new kingdom and it's here now and it's interfering with the kingdom of slavery and darkness of the one who has been over this world. And now there's a new kingdom breaking in. It's here and it's not going anywhere. And this kingdom of darkness will fall. And the authority of our Jesus is here. The word for authority is a supernatural power having a role in controlling the destiny of human beings. What Jesus has accomplished speaks to our destiny. It impacts my destiny and your destiny because of what he has done on our behalf. The authority of our Jesus is here. And it says that there is now, when he has been defeated, he's been thrown down. What are you guys doing? I'm just kidding. I told him to do this. I was on a roll and now you made me lose my place. He's been thrown down, and we have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony, the word of our testimony. Here's the thing. Um, it says here in, this, in our passage that there is no longer any place for the dragon in heaven. And here's something I want to point out. You can read in the Old Testament, in at least two places that I know of, in the book of Job and in the book of Zechariah 3, or, or the, the passage of Zechariah 3, where in some way, I don't know exactly how, but Satan seems to be in God's presence, maybe even in the throne room. I don't know. But it says that he's there accusing the people of God day and night to God. He is throwing all of our sins into our faces and before God as evidence that we should be destroyed. And that his wrath should just completely wipe us out. Day and night, without ceasing, he is taking all of our sin and imperfection and rebellion to God and saying, look at this. Do you see this? Do you see how disgusting these people are? These people who you would want to do something about, they deserve your wrath. They deserve to die. I mean, he is the prosecutor in the courtroom of heaven. That's what he's doing day and night ceaselessly. But listen, it says now he is thrown down and there is no longer any place for him in heaven. You do not read about these kind of scenes once Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. Why? Because it is pointless. 
Because up until that point, Satan, he doesn't know everything. He's thinking there's still a way that we can destroy all of these people. Because he doesn't know how God is going to make all of this work out. Well, then Jesus accomplishes his work and everything is finished on the cross. And now Satan doesn't even have a place to try anymore in heaven because there's no point. It's already over. He has been thrown down to earth and there's no place left in heaven for him. Man, there is not enough amens going on out there. The dragon's accusations against the people of God have no more power. We have conquered him in Christ by his blood, which is the thing itself. I don't know a better way to say this. Forgive me if this is not theologically correct, but it's like, that's this, like, the, the thing itself. is like we needed him to die in our place so that his blood could satisfy uh, the righteous requirement of God's law for our sin. So we conquer him by the blood of Jesus because Jesus has given what is necessary. But not only that, we also conquer him by the word of our testimony, by faith. That it's not just that that happened and it's separated from me, but that the Lord by his grace is working in me to give me faith to believe it and to grab it and say, that is mine. That this, that was for me. And God loves me. And he is in me and he is making all things new and no one can separate me from him. And so, um, and also just by telling the truth that I am a sinner, like I, I'm full of sin. I still am. He, I'm not the same guy that I was 10 years ago or five years ago or last year, but I'm still full of sin. I'm nowhere near the perfection that is required to stand in the presence of God, but that's okay because Jesus is my righteousness. He is my perfection. So I can testify to the truth of the gospel by testifying to the fact that I am deeply in need of a savior because I'm a sinner and that I have that savior and is Jesus and everything is finished. So the enemy can't talk to God anymore. He can only talk to me. His only hope is to make me just believe something that's not true, but, but his, his audience in the throne room is gone. We are are no longer enslaved. We no longer have to fear death. And so it says, therefore, rejoice. And so that's what we're going to do right now. And then I'm going to get back up here. on the mountain I'll praise when I'm sure and praise when I'm doubting I'll praise when I'm numbered and praise when surrounded Just praise is the water my enemies drowning As I'm breathing, I got a reason to praise the Lord, oh my soul.
Cause I know you're still in control My praise is a weapon It's more than a sound My praise is a shout That brings Jericho down As long as I'm breathing Praise cause you're sovereign, praise cause you reign, praise cause you rose and defeated the grave. I praise cause you're faithful, praise cause you're true, praise cause there's nobody greater than you. I praise cause you're sovereign, praise cause you reign, praise cause you rose and defeated the grave. I praise cause you're faithful, praise cause you're true, praise cause there's nobody services are no longer required. <laughs> you can have a seat. Thank y'all. That was beautiful. Uh, yeah, okay, so we, just, we had to stop and, and worship there. I mean, that's the gospel. That's everything. Uh, and now, how do we live in this world? I mean, we, we get back to our passage, this vision, starting in verse 13. You know, the dragon sees that it's, it's over, so he's full of wrath. You know, this, this is the same verse that says, rejoice, you heavens, says, woe to you, earth. It is, he is still powerful and, and can still do destruction. 
and he has been cast down to earth and he knows that his time is short and he is furious and he is full of wrath and he hates God and he hates all of God's creation and he hates the people of God. He hates you. He is pursuing us. That word pursue means persecute. He is making war on us. That is his whole attention and energy. This powerful dragon that we've just, just, just read about and how he is so wise and so powerful and so despicable, he is using his entire attention and energy to make war on us. So we need to be sober. So how, do we, how does he war first with lies that breed hate and fear and shame and slavery to darkness? He pours forth a flood of deception to sin and hate and slavery, murderous threats to fear, accusations to shame. And I want you to stop right here and just think of an application. Think about all the horrors set ablaze by these things in the world and in your own life. Think about how everything starts with the deception to sin or an intimidation to fear or hate or slavery or addiction to that sin or shame. Think about all the things that we say and do and think and put out into the world that are rooted in those lies taking root in us and then fruiting out into our lives, into this world. But our Jesus is shepherding us through the wilderness. How? He has prepared a place of nourishing for us, an outpost of healing, and that is this church. That is his church. That is his body. That is the place where his word and his spirit and his people come together. We are nourished and fed with the word of God. It is a ballast against lies, threats, and deception so that we do not lose our footing in the flood and get swept away. But that alone, the word of God alone, is not enough. It is not enough apart from God's supernatural power in the work of his Holy Spirit in and amongst us. This, this verse, this reference here, uh, verse 14, the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness uh, to a place where she will be cared for. Um, I almost didn't talk about this because I know we all know what the two wings of the great eagle are. But just in case you don't, you know, this is just a reference to his supernatural power in caring for us. Uh, in Exodus 19.4, he tells his people on the other side uh, of, of Egypt, I brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. What he means by that is by my power, by my miraculous power, not because of anything you've done. And then this is, is beautiful in Deuteronomy 32.11 and 12. Like a mama eagle, I spread out my wings and catch my young when they're about to fall out of the nest and carry them and guide them. The eagle's wings are the very presence and love of God to protect, to convict of sin, to care for, to encourage, to instruct. He is always moving and working. He is doing the heavy lifting. It is his presence in us that brings us transformation. It's not our efforts. 
It is him. It is us coming to him and, and submitting to him in obedience and watching him work this new life in us. As Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, this is rivers of living water flowing out of your soul because the Holy Spirit now dwells in you as opposed to this flood of lies that is pouring into the world from this dragon. We have the rivers of living water constantly springing up in us to keep us and to nourish us. And so how do the word of God and the spirit of God operate practically? So much of it is through you and me. We have the word, but the word is preached. The word is read to one another. The word is sung over one another. The word is applied in our friendships, in our relationships. We pray over one another. We speak into each other's lives. That's why this matters so much. You know, we've just got done going through Explore Midtown and people are going through membership interviews. That's why we care about this so much is not because we just want to see Midtown have more people, but because this is the place of nourishing. It's not the only place, but it is one of the places of nourishing. It's one of the outposts of healing and help from the front lines of the battlefield that the Lord has set up for his people. So it is not good to not be in one of these places. You know, when you read about this, it really puts it in perspective in the, in the context of this great dragon that's roaming the earth looking to devour you. If you're out there on your own, good luck. It will not end well. It will not end well. And so we have to ask ourselves a couple questions as we, as we finish, as we think about going out into our lives and into this week. Are we so aloof that we don't know that we are in a war? And are we so self-absorbed that we do not come to one another's aid? Y'all, we should have the deepest compassion for one another and for people outside of these walls because we know what everyone is up against, right? That dragon, can you stand against that dragon? No. Can I? No, not apart from God's help. Not apart from God's help through you to me and me to you. So when we hear about each other falling, we have compassion, right? Like the most powerful, horrific enemy of the world is pursuing us to devour us. So we have compassion for each other. We have compassion for those who do not know Christ because they are enslaved. What else would we expect? But we, do not, we also do not keep silent because that is not love either. We don't judge and we don't condemn. But we do not watch as our brothers and sisters just ride off into the sunset into certain destruction. We say something. And we need to repent of when we are so self-absorbed that I love my comfort and my self-image more than I love you enough to come and say something to you that you might not like. It's not because when we are in the position of being the one to say something, it's not because we are better. It's because at this moment in time, we can see. And there will be moments in time where we can't see. And you need to come say to us, Hey, this is not good. And I'm saying this because I love you, not because I'm comparing myself to you. We don't need to do that anymore. Jesus is our righteousness, right? 
So this, this is an outpost of healing. This is a place of health. And it's a place where we feed one another. It's a place where we, you know, it, to, to borrow World War II imagery, um, I, I've, I've never heard a, a better description, a better metaphor of like where we find ourselves between Jesus' coming than this idea of like, I think it's, somebody can help me who's more of a history buff. Is it VE Day and VJ Day? Is that right? VE Day and what's the other day? VJ Day, yeah. So it's like there was this day, and we'll, you can go look it up later, um, where World War II was decided, it's over. But battles were still raging and playing out for how long? Do we know, somebody? Weeks, months? People were dying. Terrible things were still happening. We already knew the world was over. That's like where we find ourselves now. And so now we are on the front lines bringing this message. That's our, our vision statement. That's what we, we're all about is we are on adventure with Jesus. We said adventure instead of war. Um, we're... <laughs> We're, on, we're at, on war against the dragon. Um, yeah, we're on adventure with Jesus to be set free. He is changing us to set others free, him working through us. We're out on the front lines. We're not hanging back somewhere else and to enjoy that freedom together, to, to grow and, and nourish and make this outpost as mature and beautiful and healing as possible. Like that's, that's what we're about. And so, we need the word and the spirit and the people of God to endure, but we will not have to endure this forever because there is a definite end to our wilderness wandering when not just heaven is rejoicing, but earth too. Because the dragon isn't going to be just thrown down, he's going to be destroyed because Jesus is king and he is not. And no one can snatch us out of his hands. Father, we love you. We need you. Lord, would you take this word? Would you inspire us? Would you uh, encourage us? Would you convict us of sin? Would you draw us into deeper unity with you, but also a deeper unity with each other? Would you humble us to let us know and remind us that we need you and we need you through this body, through our brothers and sisters? And Lord, um, we thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you are still doing for us and for your presence in us and in the world. And Lord, we, um, we just love you. In Jesus' name, amen.